Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week... We knocked the teeth out of the episode of NXT that originally Ooh. aired on April 24th, 2014. I got questions. <laughs> In this episode, uh, the Usos are here and uh, yeah. Angelo Dawkins is uh, is here. Uh, yeah. And uh, oh, no, JBL is here. Yeah. Uh. Welcome to episode 49 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Brodus Clay did a jumpy thing, and it did not go well for him. But it was great for us, because we had Lucas Brown back on the show to talk about it. Uh, It's just us again for this episode, which I didn't think had a ton going on, to be honest, but... I'm sure Bob has their own take on uh, what made this episode interesting, and we'll hear all about those takes in Bob's breakdown. We have to ring the bell twice on this episode, oh, what? and one of them, unfortunately, is a bit of a heartbreaker. Oh, no. But things will pick up when we get to the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling, after which, from out of nowhere, it's time for Wrestling Move of the Week. Followed, as per usual, by the Cheap Pop Quiz. And uh, we actually didn't do a Cheap Pop Quiz last episode, which means we're just going to jump right into it. This is Bob's Breakdown. And speaking of jumping right into it, cold open. Two Belts Page is walking the indistinguishably industrial back halls of Full Sail University (laughs) when JBL appears, looking like an insurance adjuster. So I was already angry, and he waltzed into shot to tell Page it's not fair of her to have the NXT Women's Championship because she's going to be on the road defending the Divas Championship. So she's being stripped of the NXT Divas title. Page is infuriated, and rightfully so. JBL says, well, the decision has been made. And then within two sentences, Paige has accepted this new reality because they don't have a lot of time for this bit to take place. And she lets go of the NXT Divas belt with tender reluctance. There will be a tournament to crown the next NXT Divas champ. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Prediction. I do not know what's going to happen, but I'm saying that my money right now is on Charlotte, but I hope it's Sasha. Why is your money on Charlotte right now? I think that they are pushing her and the fact that they had Sasha lose two matches recently makes me think that they were pushing Sasha out of the way to make Charlotte a big deal. But I don't know that that's true. I certainly hope that that's not what is happening because I think that Sasha, Sasha is more interesting to me than Charlotte. Although I would say that current day Charlotte Flair, as little as I've seen of her is definitely something like I would put, her and Sasha on the same tier in terms of like, oh my God, they know how to put on a show. They're very good. But Sasha's always going to be just that little bit better. Well, that's interesting. We'll see how that prediction uh, goes for you, Bob. One thing I do want to say about the thing with Paige relinquishing the uh, the championship, and we talked in the last episode about double champions, and yes. that was kind of a setup for this because of why I explained how uh, double champions don't usually last very long. 
I remember at the time there was a little bit of complaining about this because, mm-hmm. you know, like Biggie had been on the main roster for a while and they didn't strip him of the title and other people have gone on to the main roster and not have to give up their championships. But I do think mm. what's happening here, just in some context, the difference is that we now have the network. NXT is now a show on the Mm. WWE network, which is a thing that WWE is trying to get subscribers for. And I just think Uh. that that changes the calculus of whether or not you want one of your champions on the main roster right now. I think that you want your champion there more often, uh, doing more things involved in more storylines, as opposed to, you know, that might not have been quite as big of a uh, a priority prior to uh, the network. And off mic, we had been talking about how wrestling is a medium and not a genre. It's a whole way of storytelling, not a kind of story to be told. Yes. And I think it's interesting that wrestling as performance art exists both as serialized television and also as one-off performances that you might go see at a promotion and also as a kind of serial storyline that you might go see at your local promotion. Mm -hmm. And it exists simultaneously in all of these different things. And that changes, as you say, the calculus. I think it's very easy to assume that what you see on WWE, I suppose now to some extent on AEW, makes you think, well, that's the way that wrestling operates. But I think that's not true. It's just the most common way that we see it. And so it's weird to remember. It could look radically different in terms of how championships are used in other promotions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's weird to remember that, you know, there was a time when NXT was wasn't even part of the the WWE canon, really. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) somebody just this weird fan fiction. Yeah. Somebody from NXT would show up on the main roster and they'd be like, oh, it's this person over at NXT. And they might mention they won a championship or whatever. But like when Biggie was NXT champion, they weren't talking on the main roster about him being NXT champion. It was like it didn't exist. So with the start of the network and NXT being a show on the network, we are now one step closer to NXT. NXT being actually part of like NXT is now tangentially more part of the actual overall storyline of WWE than it was before, which is why you're suddenly seeing somebody go like, well, hang on now. <laughs> you can't have, you can't have both of them, Paige. That's so interesting because I think about it a little bit in terms of the Marvel Universe and the fact that the Netflix shows are kind of non-canonical within the MCU. Oh, absolutely. But these new Disney ones are canonical within the MCU. Mm-hmm. But it would be like if they said, well, but we're going to have Jessica Jones appear, but we're going to play with how canonical we're going to say that Jessica Jones is to the MCU. Well, because it has to do with it all has to do with the streaming model of television, Mm -hmm. right? Because like the Netflix shows were Netflix shows. And if you tie those shows into the movies, what you're doing is you're driving people to Netflix. That's not in the best interest of the Disney Corporation. (laughs) (laughs) What Disney wants to do now is drive people to Disney Plus. And now all of a sudden, the TV shows available on Disney Plus are super important and you have to watch them. And if you don't, you won't understand the movies at all. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with wrestling. Back in the day, NXT was not... You know, WWE was not super interested in driving people to fucking Hulu. You know what I mean? <laughs> but now that we have the network, it's like, oh, we're going to drive people to that. You want to watch NXT? Go be a subscriber of the network. So when the when the financial models change, then the calculation changes and the priorities shift. It is interesting to think about how the larger structures influence narrative structures. Yes, I think so, too. 
even though I fucking hate capitalism. Oh, well, yeah, I obviously I, that's the subtext of, the, of my life in general. It's just like yeah. a real a real <laughs> grudge against the idea of, you know, labor for lucre. I just no, Thank you. Postscript to all of this. All of its stupid and money isn't real. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Match one. Lana is here to announce Rusev. And just an update. Rusev has groomed his chest hair a bit, I think. It looks a little bit thinned out okay. and a little bit tidier. And not in a bad way, just I noticed that it wasn't as curly and sort of free as it sometimes is. And so I was like, oh, I don't know if that was a personal choice or a character choice or what, but okay. You know what? I think Sharon mentioned that when we were watching this episode, actually. I guess I just noticed chest hair on men in wrestling because it is a grooming choice. And also I wonder, is it character informed or is it purely a look, it's just getting out of control and I don't want to deal with it or it's getting in the way of the oil or whatever. It's a bit of a rarity. You don't see it all the time. You know what I mean? So I can understand how your attention might be drawn to it because like I imagine that having chest hair when you're wrestling is a negative from a physical standpoint. Like I would not want to be dragged across the ring. If I had my choice of doing all these like things on the mat, like I would not want to have the hair because the hair gets pulled and stepped on and it hurts. So like if you're doing it, there must be a reason. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate that Sami Zayn tends to have just a tiny bit. And I, I always think that's very cute. I think Sami Zayn with him, it's like he needs to look just not super polished. He needs to look yeah. almost polished, but not all the way polished. You know what I mean? Yeah. So who is Rusev destroying this week? Why it's Travis Tyler. Our good friend Travis Tyler. Absolutely. Early friend of the next wrestling fan. Boldly coming out here <laughs> in his very orangest briefs. His opening salvo is a leap of a dropkick, which is answered by Rusev brutalizing him with a forearm to the throat that I can only assume Travis Tyler was using for breathing. And Rusev hoists TT into the horizontal toddler dangle. I'm sure you're well familiar with it. It's the one arm between the legs and one arm under the neck. Yep. And then drops him to the mat behind him. And as though it's a classroom when there's a substitute teacher, the audience starts spite chanting. First, they sing the Adam Rose theme song. Mm -hmm. And then they start chanting, let's go TT. Because I don't think they know who's this jobber is in the ring like i don't know that that was announced but his butt says tt on it and i guess in wrestling your ass is basically your employee name tag wasn't he the guy that like it was the downgrade he had the he had the landscape and now he's yes. downgraded down to the tt yeah i mean i get it because you can't just go let's go landscape that's <laughs> i, mean, I you guess could. you can clearly it's possible yeah. what a fool tt was not to go let's go landscape yeah So Rusev slams him to the mat again and then squats on that spine to bend it into the unnatural curve of the accolade and Mm. all to the chant of, and I could be wrong about this, Miles, but was it this is awful? I believe it was, yes. Is this go away heat? Because it is heat, but it doesn't seem to be boo, we hate that you're a heel heat. It's like... Boo, we're bored, fuck off, heat? Yeah, it kind of is. It's not like, you know, white hot go away heat like some wrestlers have had in the past, but it's definitely like, (laughs) it's definitely like the only amount of give a fuck we can muster for this match is to like troll you. So I don't really, it's so strange to me because I don't remember this being 
a thing with Rusev? Because, like, Rusev is kind of going to go on to be a bit more of a thing than this. I don't know what to attribute the reaction to. Mm-hmm. I think probably, if I had to guess, it's just because there's been, like, vignettes, like, main roster vignettes announcing his imminent arrival. Um, okay. It's, it's pretty clear that he's not much longer for NXT, so why should we give a fuck? And mm. And they never really gave him anything for the audience no. to sink their teeth into. He didn't really have a feud or a match or like anything really that you could latch onto in NXT, which he will have more of those things on the main roster. And so I think that was why it was so surprising to me is because I I've never heard this crowd reaction to him on the main roster. He does speak in a foreign language and yeah. entice the crowd into sort of a half-hearted USA chant at one I point. I thought that was the weakest ass USA chant because it was not patriotic. It was not like, yeah, go America. It was like, <laughs> fuck off. Like, it's just like, go I, away. I USA, guess. USA, yeah. leave. Is there a common cure? Is there a chicken noodle soup for go away heat? I think leading into it is usually the best way to go. Like, okay. like, like what Bo Dallas did. You know what I mean? Like, I was thinking he found of this weird, unique way. Bo Dallas was kind of getting go away heat in a way, like not not quite like this, mm-hmm. but like when the crowd's not responding the way you want them to respond, I always think the best thing to do is to take that and use it. Because if the fans feel like they're influencing the story and they're part of the story, they're more likely to become invested in it. So make it a fun thing to chant. Make it a thing you can print on shirts. Like, make it part of the story. Because then either it becomes less fun and they stop or it becomes more fun and they start to actually get into it. You know what I mean? Okay. But I'm not a wrestling booker, so. It's curious to me that Rusev is receiving this go away heat and that could have easily happened to the Ascension so easily. Absolutely. And it didn't. The Ascension, they trolled them in the opposite way and it's still a kind of trolling, but it's a positive trolling. And it's just interesting to me that you can be on that knife's edge and you just don't know which way it's going to fall and yeah. I don't know, there's weird marketing psychology to it. There's a whole mess of things that go into it. And it doesn't always work out the way that I think it would on paper. It just doesn't. The Ascension really did lean into it and they grabbed it and they ran with it and they used it. But also they're around all the time. You know what I mean? And like with this Rusev, is true. with Rusev, it's just like he's just kind of not here very often. Like he shows he's up. He's a shitty uncle. You didn't bring anything. You didn't, <laughs> like you're not fun to be around. Get the fuck out of this house. Yeah, exactly. All right, backstage, Adam Rose and co. are here with Devin Taylor to say, Hey, Camacho, don't be a lemon, be a rosebud. And Rose stares into the camera with that Leo Kruger intensity. <laughs> is he still playing with his hair? You bet he is he still is. playing of with that hair. Of course he is. Never, ever stop being you, whatever your real name is. Bless you and your hair playing with. I want to say it's Adam LePan is his name. Oh, but, uh, okay. That's a lovely name. Yeah. I have so much affection for him. God, it doesn't hurt that he's got those massive green eyes that just stare into your soul. I just, he's so good at this. He's like, he's he actually is. like a decent actor. He's a gem. They yeah. they have something special in his acting ability. So match two, new music dot 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 question mark for uh, Charlotte and Sasha. Charlotte and I Sasha. I think so. Yeah. Okay. It's still pretty generic. Yeah. Let's not, like, oh, yeah. It's just like a different kind of generic song. Yeah. So I'm it, not sure nothing. if we've heard it before. It is a different kind of nothing. Yeah. So Emma dances to the ring and Jason Albert, you know, traditionally goes ballistic for those bubbles. Who is Emma's partner? 
Well, it's Paige. Miles. Yes. I don't know if you're going to be proud of me for this, but you fucking should be. As soon as I saw Paige was going to be Emma's partner, I knew what was going to happen and I knew why it was going to happen. I understood a wrestle. Okay. First the match. I'll describe the match and then I will tell you my thought process. So Emma's in the ring with Sasha. Scuffle, scuffle. And then Charlotte is tagged in and Emma swings Sasha into Charlotte in the corner like a really mean Newton's cradle. And (laughs) Charlotte shoves Sasha out of the way and Emma comes bowling towards her and then sort of steps up to stand on Charlotte's hands. But gravity is a thing and you can't balance a person in just your cupped (laughs) hands. So Emma just falls back and flings Charlotte into a monkey flip. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Onto her back over Emma's fallen form. Emma pops back up, tagged a page and a team effort to suplex Charlotte. Page for the cover. But no, Instead, Charlotte starts doing some ankle submissions. Paige hates it. And they really put over like how terrible this this ankle torture is. Yeah. And Paige just flicks her ankle, sending Charlotte twirling through the air. Charlotte sold the shit out of that. She's getting noticeably better. She is. Every time. I don't know how she went from 20% to 70% in the course of like three months, but she did. Yeah. So tagged to Emma and Charlotte gains control of the situation and then does a mocking werewolf howl right at Paige. And I was like, that's in werewolf culture. That's super rude. Like, you don't do that. (laughs) Plus, it's appropriative. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, you're not a werewolf. Don't do that. That's rude. And so Emma gets it together and monkey flips Charlotte again. Charlotte lands on her feet this time. Runs to tag in Banks. Who does the the reign of slaps. Yeah. And I just want to take a second pull back from all this and say Sasha, Charlotte and Paige are all dressed in what look like three different lines of hot topic gear circa 2002. Meanwhile, Emma is over here <laughs> dressed in bike safety bondage gear. <laughs> I so love that Emma's over here. Like, how did you get into this group of friends? Like, what happened? <laughs> Tagged to Charlotte again, and she locks in her knees around Emma's neck. Charlotte flips so they're in a bit of a human centipede. Mm. And then somersaults, driving Emma down onto the mat back first. Charlotte rolls again onto hands and knees and just bounces Emma's face into the mat. It's not sexy, but uh, it's not not sexy. On the independent scene, that move is called the skull fucker. Ooh. <laughs> WWE, you're all cowards. (laughs) All right. They flip back over. Emma bridges to pin Charlotte's shoulders and the hold is broken. Charlotte fails at an elbow. Fuck you. And both parties struggle to their corners for the tag. Sasha and Paige are in. Three clotheslines later, Sasha is in trouble at the hands of Paige, who is fixing to do another move when Charlotte fucking storms the ring and just kicks Paige right in the leg. And I was like, I fucking beg your gosh danged pardon. Ma'am, you cannot come in here and do this. You do not even have a reservation. Miles, I was under the impression that interrupting the match was saved for pinfall attempts only. And here we have Charlotte raised in a barn flare. Right. Doing that apropos of no pinfall attempt at all. Is this just because she's a flare and that's what they do? I mean, pretty much. And also just because she's a heel. As opposed to simply to merely breaking up a pinfall, she is coming in to actually give her team a competitive advantage. And it's a hell of a kick. Paige sells that shit like she doesn't have a knee anymore. Yeah, she's like crumpled and like banging on her leg going, come on. Like I wish yeah. I appreciate percussive maintenance in wrestling where somebody will just slap their own body part and go, wake up, muscle group. <laughs> 
So Emma comes in to ward off Charlotte, but Charlotte throws her out of the ring. Sasha crawls over to tag in Charlotte properly, and she does a move that is the fanciest snoot boop ever. Paige is still on all fours, desperately trying to work some life back into that leg. Charlotte flips over her and on the way down, pulls Paige's face to the mat for a nose bonk. Paige grabs her nose. It has been bonked. Yes. Charlotte pins her and Paige lets her arms softly fall to the mat on either side of her like a fallen maiden who's like, oh, wouldst thou pin me, my lady? Wouldst thou lay (laughs) mine shoulders upon this square red circle? (laughs) And the ref counts three and then Paige goes back to holding her nose like, ah, that really hurts. This is a very sort of soft focus pin, but I'm here for it. So, Miles, yeah. I knew Paige was going to take the pin because she had to essentially pass the baton and that the person pinning her was the favorite to take her place as like this alpha female. So, this and ties figured, into your, yes. your theory. Yeah. And I figured it would be Charlotte because Sasha had to eat those two losses recently. And so, I was like, well, it would be weird if now they're like, no, actually, Sasha's great and is going to totally pin Paige. But. I understood a wrestle thing. I'm so proud of you. And like, then that has been the feud. Like it has been a page Charlotte feud. Like Charlotte was the one Charlotte and Sasha both rolled up the page after arrival and talk shit. But Charlotte was the one talking the most shit. And, oh, yeah. you know, she was the one that page responded to in that one promo when she was still holding just the one title and very excellently done, Bob. You analyze that extremely well. Thank you. So, I did a math equation and showed my work. So now we get an ad for Total Divas, the reality show about WWE Divas that is what if Real Housewives of wherever, but for wrestles. And I was really curious about your perspective on this show as a person of the male persuasion, who also, Mm. I'd say a lot of your wrestle pals are guys. Yes. Was this show targeted mostly at women? Like, was it explicitly WWE going, this is a gateway drug that we are making to try and lure women into wrestling. We will make a reality show with women on it. And then dot, dot, dot profit. Like we'll figure out how to turn people into wrestling fans just because of this. Or do you think that the show did well with men folk too? And just generally, was it even popular? Cause I think it's still going. I don't think it's technically been canceled, mm-hmm. but it, the most recent season happened back in 2019, I think. Okay. Um, so it's been a little while. I didn't watch it. Just to get that right out there, I was not a guy that watched Total Divas. I think I caught a couple of segments, but I've, I've never sat through a entire episode. I'm not a huge reality TV guy in general, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah, I can, same. I can get into the shows where it's like bake off and face off where it's like crafting things and and, you know, that kind of thing. But in terms of just like, you know, let's put these people in a house together and let their personalities clash off one another. Like, it's just not it's never been my thing. And for me, not even the wrestling connection could could uh, bring that out, really, because I didn't watch Tough Enough and I didn't watch Legends House and I didn't you know, I didn't watch any of those things. I do think that Total Divas was a scheme to kind of soft sell women on wrestling. Um, a scheme. I yeah, love it. Well, it I mean, was a scheme, but yeah. I still love that we're calling it a scheme. You know, the Bella Twins just went into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And of course, the WWE Hall of Fame is a fake thing that is stupid, but they did just go into the Hall of Fame. And I think one of the big cases for them being there is that the Bella Twins, who were kind of the main forces behind Total Divas, and of course, eventually they got their own spinoff, Total Bellas, uh, mm-hmm. the Bella Twins were instrumental in introducing certain new people in the audience to wrestling because they are 
so good at the sort of cross promotion content that total divas represents. So like Mm. the Bellas are very good at marketing and advertising and selling themselves and selling their products and that kind of thing. They are compelling in that sort of like reality show kind of way, right? The Bella twins are very, they are naturals in the reality TV show sort of world, I think. So they did a lot of work in that regard. And I think a lot of people would credit total divas with bringing them into professional wrestling, or at least possibly bringing them back to professional wrestling. You know what I mean? I definitely know men watched it, Um, you know, and, and because a lot of these women were dating wrestlers like John Cena and Daniel Bryan in the case of the Bellas themselves at the time, even if you didn't care about the women, which, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. fuck you. But like, if you didn't, you could still theoretically watch Total Divas to see Cena and Brian and the Usos. And because it's framed in this, like, let's get to know the wrestlers behind the wrestlers better. Mm-hmm. It's, it can be compelling in that way. We're kind of right at the start here of the like official, like, you know, we're just going to be super open about the fact that this is a, an entertainment product that and these people are are not who they play that can be really compelling for a lot of people whereas with me it's like i'm i'm honestly less interested in the interplay between real life and the artifice as yeah. i am in between wrestling as an as an art form and a narrative uh medium so again just a lot of factors coinciding with me not really being super into total divas um i would be really interested in watching it sometime like you know i don't know bob if you ever wanted to if you ever wanted to do some bonus total divas content i would be into watching it um i would certainly be interested in experiencing it i think it's not for me in the sense that i don't love that kind of storytelling right but i do find it fascinating it's i don't have a problem with reality television i watched real world like i'm a human being but i'm much more interested in it as a way of thinking about how wrestling presents itself to the world yeah and and it's interesting because at this specific time i really feel like you know and i i'm not I don't hate the Bella Twins. I just want to preface this by <laughs> saying I have a ton of respect for Brie and Nikki Bella in terms of what they've accomplished in their careers. I don't think they were ever particularly gifted wrestlers. Nikki did a lot of work to improve, and I oh, recognize good. that. Um, and I think by the end of her career, she was actually really good. They're probably going to come back to WWE soon, win the tag team championships, and I'm fine with that. Like, I don't love them in the ring, but I'm not, like, champing at the bit to, like, tear them apart like some people are. That I would said, say they're not good for women's lib. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I accept that they are there and that they are making the best of the misogynist world we live in. And yeah. so I have some level of peace with that. They're good for women's lib in the sense of like, in the very specific kind of corporate sense of like, yes. hey, look, these are women being successful. You know what I mean? At this specific era at wrestling history, there was a bit of a schism developing between the women on Total Divas and the women coming out of NXT. 
and Ooh. doing and doing things in NXT and also some other women who were not on Total Divas, but who considered themselves, quote unquote, real wrestlers. There's a notorious promo um, cut by AJ Lee in 2013 when Total Divas was first becoming a thing. She basically slut shames them and <gasps> uh, and like says that they only got to where they are because of who they were sleeping with and Oof. that they're not real wrestlers like her. And, you know, um, that's not good either. AJ Lee. Yeah, it's not, it's not fantastic. At the time there was a feeling of that though. Like there was really, I can a, imagine. there was really a feeling among the fan base, like, you know, and, and at least in my experience, the male fan base that like these women were not wrestlers, the Bella twins and Eva Marie. And like, we're going to explain as we go through the next couple of segments of the women's wrestling history of the week in episode 50 and then episode 55, you're going to understand why that was a thing because we've mm-hmm. been through a solid fucking decade of women's wrestling being an oversexualized pee break. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like to see WWE going in this direction of like, oh, now they have a reality TV show made it seem a lot like that was being reinforced. So the Bellas, through no fault of their own at the time, represented a certain attitude toward women's wrestling that was in opposition to what AJ Lee and the women in NXT represented. I have a a piece that I wrote about this specific issue that's on my website right now. I believe it's called Twin Tragic. I'm a little bit harder on the Bellas in retrospect (laughs) in that piece than I would be if I wrote it today. It's in response to a very specific moment in time that I wrote that piece. So you can go back and read it if you want to. It's on my website, universesofthemind.com under the Bells and Wrist Locks section, which is where I write about wrestling. Go check it out if you're interested in more. Like I said, I would write it differently if I were writing it today, but um, I do find it fascinating that in this moment in time in 2014, you had sort of a group of women who represented in the minds of the audience at the time, a regressive attitude towards women's wrestling. And then you had this other group of women who represented a progressive attitude towards women's wrestling. So that was way more on Total Divas than I probably ever should have said. But I do find the subject fascinating. And I really would like to watch the show sometime because it's like it's kind of like when I used to shit on like Twilight or whatever, because I was a fucking 21 year old edgelord. And that was what you did. (laughs) And like, you know, and then like some fucking somebody's like, well, have you ever read Twilight? And I'm like, well, no, but I've read about it. (laughs) So uh, I would really like to watch it sometime and talk about it and think through it in a much deeper way. And uh, perhaps that will be a bonus episode sometime in the future, Bob. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate you going on this dive because WWE has a really complicated relationship with women, obviously, as you've outlined with the women's history. And it is interesting to see them embrace women, but do it on their own terms and what that means for how women are seen through WWE. So I appreciate that. And I also would like to think that this show could also be something of a Trojan horse to get men to care about women (laughs) in some way. I would hope that that was also an effect of it. I think that there's been a lot of sort of looking back at the Bellas and at Total Divas, you know, for like progressive wrestling fans, you know, there's a lot of love for it. And there's a lot of like, oh, that was actually really cool. You know what I mean? It was just hard to see at the time because of where we were in the history of women's wrestling. And I think also, to some extent, where we were in the history of reality television. I think that absolutely played into it because reality television, that's its own big beast. So match three to get back to actual wrestling. (laughs) Instead of analyzing, spending 20 minutes on this commercial. (laughs) 
<laughs> the next wrestling fan guaranteed to get the priorities wrong. <laughs> Match three. Springy little goat lad Tyson Kidd is back to show us what those hooves can do. And oh no, he's up against Mason Ryan. <laughs> yep. The man whose hooves have placed their stamp upon my heart. <laughs> He's got that little half ponytail. I treasure it. Never change. So Tyson Kidd is like, ooh, dang, this pony. He's a big pony. And he tries a few moves and then bravely just leaps at Mason Ryan's chest to do the fall backward into a monkey flip that'll upend Ryan. So he's, you know, Ryan is holding him on these cupped hands and Ryan just gently holds him like not yeah. moving an inch as if to say mate what are we doing here yeah. like this is not happening how did you and think just, this was gonna go yeah did you notice the size difference my friend and he throws kid off kid gathers up some speed and throws himself at ryan again and ryan catches him in the same toddler dangle as rusev from earlier tyson struggles out and does some sharp little goatee kicks so Ryan gets him down to the mat and Kid feebly kicks his little goat legs and he's able to get back to his feet and even get Ryan with a kick to the head, get the big man down, etc. as they're always saying on commentary. Yep. The audience is being kind of moody about this whole thing and chanting something unclear. It might have been the Batista chant, hard to say. It was the Batista chant, yes. Okay. So Ryan gets to the bottom rope for a breath. Kid just floats over that top rope like a gentle cloud and then bam, leg out landing hard across the back of Ryan's neckle region, as we say in our household, <laughs> the head and neckle region. So Pony does not like that. And he battles back and comes at Kid who stands back against the rope, whoop, does a skin the cat and then Kid springboards right into strongman arms of Mason Ryan, who holds him above his head, like, you know, freshly caught marlin or something. That's right. And, you know, watch for falling goats because Ryan lets go and just walks out from under Kid as Kid tumbles to the mat behind him. Kid hobbles to the corner and then eats a clothesline that throws his entire lower body up into the air. Like when you flip a pancake and just leaves the pan for a second. He does that. Manages to get to the corner, up onto the ropes. Ryan follows and as Kid flips over him, dragging that noggin to meet the mat and he pins Mason Ryan for the win. I just want to say, <clears throat> see, Mason Ryan can do a wrestle. <laughs> I mean, okay, I get it. It's because kid is really fucking good. But still, the lesson I walked away with is like, Mason Ryan's great and everyone should love him. And it's not his fault that he hasn't gotten to wrestle with people who are great. It's honestly a pretty good match, all things considered. It, it's not it's bad. It's real good. I was kind of like, fuck you, audience. You, you're a <laughs> bunch of shit. Like, this is good. And then Kid gets on the mic with Renee, who we haven't seen for a little bit. And he says, I'm here to do a good wrestle. And I will do a wrestle that is better than the wrestles that you, theoretical listener, may do. <laughs> All right. Justice. There we go. Very generic promo there from Tyson Kidd. Boy, was it. I was like, well, I learned nothing about who you are. And <laughs> I guess that's fine. Match four, Angelo Dawkins. I, okay, finally, fucking finally, this roster is starting to be a little bit less white. And I am yes. really happy that we're starting to see more BPOC in the ring. Comes out with, it's a bit stereotypical, admittedly, but god damn, he looks so cute. 
He's got a backpack on, his headphones around his neck. He's got these adorable big orange frames that I thought were super cute. Baseball hat. Like, he looks like a dork. And I was fucking in love. And he does the worst moonwalk I've ever seen. Well, not the worst. (laughs) I've tried to moonwalk before, and that was honestly much worse. But the moonwalk that he did was quite terrible. Right. Um, On the apron, and I swooned a little bit, because, boy, I love schlocky dancing. I'm a big sucker for it. So the gorgeous one struts to the ring. Miles, normally, Mm. Regal tells us the made-up kind of creature that Breeze is wearing the fur of. However, Regal is not on commentary this week, as I am sure we will discuss a little bit later on. (laughs) So, Miles, what kind of animal is Tyler Breeze wearing the fur, hair, or feathers of this week? So, I looked this up, and uh, Mm -hmm. Tyler Breeze is actually, this week, the outfit he was wearing was 98% Argentinian Smurf. And... uh, Apparently, you have to hunt them in the winter, because in the winter oh. is when they grow their longer coats. The oh, the shows okay. were all filmed in summertime. And the other 2% was kelp. So. Kelp. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Miles. I really appreciate this. No problem. <laughs> so the bell goes, and Dawkins, I feel kind of weird calling you by his last name, because it makes me think of Richard Dawkins and fuck <laughs> Richard Dawkins. Yeah, fuck Richard Dawkins. Like, both atheists on this podcast fuck richard dawkins into the sun with you i have the word atheist tattooed on my body fuck richard dawkins yeah so angelo dawkins who is the best dawkins as far as i'm fucking absolutely almost immediately swings breeze up and pancakes him and breeze skitters feverishly and it is a full-on skitter like it is the skitter that a bug does when trying to avoid the dreaded kleenex of death but he makes it to the ropes he lays out dawkins with this pissy forearm And a kick to the back gets Dawkins into a submission hold around the face. But Dawkins gets out only to be beauty shotted when Mm. Breeze gets him to his feet. And Miles, I was aghast that this fickle ass audience was doing the Adam Rose theme music during part of Breeze's match. Because I was like, you used to do Breeze's gorgeous during other people's matches. Like, this audience, I want to fight all of them. They seem to be really into that Adam Rose music. I don't know what to tell you. There's a time and place, and I just felt like it was rude, but also I get that saying there's a time and place to a wrestling audience is a good way to get booed. I could get some serious heat by just going up and getting on the mic and saying, you know, this is inappropriate behavior and there's a time and place for this. Instant heat. Yeah, like just get on the mic and be like, hey, everything in moderation. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) All right, recap of stuff from last time. Neville beat Brodus Clay, blah, blah, blah. Neville lost several teeth, blah, blah, blah. Wait, what the actual (laughs) frickety frack? We see a shot of Neville with his front teeth missing, but not appearing to bleed. Miles, is this a real thing that happened? An old thing that happened that they're making it a story? Like, I just felt really bad. And also I was like, fucking put a warning on this. I was not expecting to see fucking teeth falling out. Which I've never had that nightmare, but nonetheless, I don't want to start having it. And I, I also care that my hobbity lad has all of his chompers for breakfast, second breakfast, 11Zs, etc. So, uh, unlike Breeze's outfit, I actually did look this up. Brodus Clay legitimately knocked out <gasps> some of Adrian Neville's teeth. <sighs> so, a few caveats. First of all, okay. I'm not sure it happened in a match. Because in an interview in 2014, Brodus said, He came off the top rope and his face hit my head. As we went down, I T-boned him out of it. His teeth actually stayed stuck in his mouthpiece. (gasps) He didn't know his teeth were out until he got in the back. 
<gasps> so it must have happened in either the match we just watched or the one we're going to watch on the next episode. And then they decided to use it in this vignette. So yeah. I'm assuming those are his real teeth. Now, also, I have to put real in quotation marks because because Brodus said, actually, he lost one real tooth. The other two were fake that were bonded together. He lost three, but two weren't really his. So I'll take credit for the one. Oh, that's kind of cute. So Neville basically had already lost teeth on the independence scene. Those were fake replacement teeth that Brodus uh-huh. then re-knocked out. So, so that to me makes way more sense where it's like, okay, let's use these in a little backstage thing. They're props anyway. Oh my God. It's kind of extraordinary to me that any wrestler has the photogenic smile that they do. It just seems unlikely. And I love them all and want them all to have their teeth because you only get one set. And as we talked about in the Smash Fiction fan faction, teeth don't heal. And that's bullshit. That is bullshit. So the main event, the weird trios match that I can't imagine anyone requested. So <laughs> Gray's in the Ascension against Sami Zayn and his six pack is packing. Mm. And the Usos, yeah. the current WWE tag team champs, everybody gets their entrance and it's all fine. And then the bell goes, Victor and N. Uso lock up. The Usos are twins. I struggle mightily to tell them apart. I know that one of them has a tattoo that the other one does not have. However, they're moving rapidly in a ring. Yeah. You cannot always tell which one has the tattoo. And I know that commentary sometimes gets it right, but I think commentary sometimes also gets it wrong. So I can't even necessarily trust commentary to tell me which Uso I am looking at at the moment. But they are both fucking tremendous. Yeah, they're legit twins. They're uh, part of the Anawa'i dynasty of Samoan wrestlers uh, that has produced so many people, including uh, Roman Reigns. But yeah, uh, you can't be blamed for that. Not only are they legit twins, but they dress the same and they have the same face paint only on different sides of their face. So yeah, if you choose to identify the person involved in the action at any given time as an Uso, I don't think that's the worst thing you could do. And I have struggled really hard with rights and lefts. Like, I, <laughs> I have such a hard time with it. I'm not really blessed with um, differentiating in spatial terms. So Victor gets clotheslined and flees to the corner, clutching his chest like he's an affronted Regency heiress. I don't know if you caught that. It was very good. I did, actually. He was like, oh! <gasps> You hit me. I'm like, <laughs> no I mean, one ever yeah, hits me. It's fucking good. Corey Graves gets tagged in and Sammy gets the tag from Uso for his chance at Graves, just oils over and tags Connor. Connor yeah. looks around like, I don't know. It feels like you two have a thing and I don't really want to be in the middle of it. This whole trios thing is awkward enough. But the <laughs> Yah chant starts and you got to respect the Yah chant. Absolutely. Miles. Yah. Yah, Bob. So Connor does a little chest shimmy. Yeah. Sammy respects this. And they, they kind of have this like accord that happens. <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> it was very, I was like, I don't know what's happening here, but I'm fucking into it. <laughs> and then the lockup. Sammy is beaten to the mat immediately. And now shit crumb graves gets to be tagged in and come at Zane. But Zane pulls his legs out from under him and starts making him eat a delicious helping of vitamin forearm. Take that graves. <laughs> Graves runs for it and tags in Victor. Zane gets Victor into a hold and drags him to the corner to tag in one of the twins. Chest chop. Victor hates it. Now both Usos are in the ring and Victor clangs them into each other. They both stop. 
what's going to happen. Audience, guess in your minds what's going to happen. They've been clanked together. A dance party. (laughs) It is the electric slide, maybe? I am not especially gifted in the Terpsichorean arts and have little knowledge thereof, I fear. I have no input into this conversation (laughs) in terms of what dance moves are. Yeah, but the dance ends with a double punch to Victor. Jay gets Victor into a leg pretzel and Jimmy is tagged in who mixes it up with an arm hold. Victor is now kind of our meanie in peril, I guess, and keeps getting traded around like a dog-eared copy of Flowers in the Attic, which is a meaningful reference for like 2% of human beings, I suppose. Definitely not me. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Don't look it up. It's real weird. Okay. So he does manage to take out one of the Usos, though, and drives him deep into the baddie corner. Tagged to big beefy vampire boy, Connor, a cruel flapjack is executed upon this Uso. Cut to Mm -hmm. commercial. Back. Connor is hugging Jay Uso from behind, but it's a throat hug. Tag to Corey Graves. Does he do an arm lock? Yes. Of course he does an arm lock. Thankfully for not too long, but longer than I'd like. <laughs> so tag to Victor. A chop war. Jay is chopped unto death and lays limply upon the mat, but still manages a kick out. Tag to Connor, and then Jay slaps Connor, who falls backwards like Jay just hit the off switch. Because it was like a slap to the face. Yeah, it was hard. He manages a tag to Jimmy through considerable peril. And now it's Jimmy and Victor. A kick to the chin and a butt to the face from Jimmy. Graves trades out with Victor and Zane sees his opportunity. Blind tag. And he leaps at Graves in a crossbody. No luck with the pin. Graves flops to the corner. Is it big boot o'clock? It is not. Because when Zane tries to boot that snoot, he gets picked up. But he flails out and lifts Graves for that spinning power bomb and pins Graves only to have the Ascension rush the ring to break it up. One of the Usos and Zane scramble to take out Connor and Victor. They're spun to the outside. Graves is alone. The clock strikes big boot time. The Haluva kick connects and now Jimmy and Sammy leap to the outside over the top rope and down onto the vampire boys. Jay Uso goes to the top and smashes down onto Graves and pins him for three. And that is how we end with the unlikely groupings of the Usos and Zane and the best ending ever and the <laughs> the Ascension and Corey Graves like slink into the back. The ending, we'll talk about it in a minute. Okay. But I have a lot of emotion. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. Tell me what you thought of this episode overall. I'm very interested. We've had some bangers recently, and then Mm -hmm. we've had some lulls. And so I think I preferred this to the last one, but only because there is no amount of Adrian Neville that can make up for Brodus Clay. I don't want bad things for anybody, but Brodus Clay is not a compelling wrestler for me. And so I didn't enjoy that main event. This main event, even though writing a breakdown for a fucking trios match is a pain in the ass and Mm -hmm. God willing, they never, ever do like a five man bullshit thing that they would do on AEW. But I enjoyed it a lot more. And there were some weird highlights in the form of Mason Ryan and all that. Commentary was trash and I could not have cared less, although they did have a couple of gems. We'll get to that. I want to put this out there. With a different audience and a different commentary team, this would be one of our tops, I think. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I had a hard time getting into this one a little bit, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. Before we get into more detail and things we enjoyed or didn't enjoy, we have to go through a a bit of a painful process here, Bob. Okay. Gotta ring the bell. First of all, we are ringing the bell for the Usos. 
Oh, really? So soon? Yeah, this is the final appearance of uh, Jimmy and Jay Uso on NXT television. They were actually a semi-regular part of the show in the year or two prior to the start of our coverage, but by this time, they have moved on to bigger and better things like the WWE Tag Team Championship. They would go on to win Tag Team Gold in WWE five additional times so far, as we record this, and have had several highly acclaimed matches, most notably with the New Day. They've also had some issues with drinking and driving. Ooh, don't do that. Particularly Jimmy, who's out of action as we record this with a legitimate injury, not from drinking and driving, from wrestling. But okay. He has had more uh, arrests, I believe. But Jey Uso has been a prominent part of the storyline going on with Roman Reigns over on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he recently won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Uh, so in general, the, the boys are doing pretty well in their post NXT careers. Second of all. We are ringing the bell for Corey Graves. What? This is the final televised match of Corey Graves' in-ring career. Holy shit. It's not his final match like that he wrestled because this was actually taped, you know, ahead of time, obviously. I believe his last match occurred at WrestleMania Access. So uh, okay. his repeated problems with concussions would force oh. him out of action and into early retirement. A few episodes ago, I mentioned in the cheap pop quiz that a feud would be derailed by injury and Corey Graves versus Sami Zayn is that feud. Graves has been part of our lives since the very first episode that we did. Yes. Um, And for all that we've made fun of his way too clean and polished punk aesthetic and his signature running into your leg maneuver. (laughs) It's very sad to see him go out like this. Oh, yeah. However, this cloud does have a silver lining at some point down the road. Corey Graves will be back in our lives as an announcer. So we will get to hang out with him and he will fucking rescue us from this nightmare. Of an announced team. But we will never again hear that generic teen angst music or his Mm. tortured metaphors about forest animals. So didn't love watching you wrestle all the time, Corey, but it's sad to see you go and uh, can't wait until you are back in the announce desk. We're never going to see that little belly button tattoo again. No, no. He's always going to be wearing suits from here on out. I like his sense of dress. I like that he is going, no, it's wrestling. I'm going to wear the most insane thing I possibly can. I appreciate that. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. All right, Bob. Well, let's try to cheer ourselves up a little bit uh, now that we've lost Graves. Uh, Here are the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Tyler Breeze. Okay. Tyler Breeze does a thing while he has Angelo Dawkins locked up and Angelo Dawkins is kind of flailing an arm and kind of batting at Breeze's face. And Breeze does this somewhat regularly, but I never appreciated it as much until I think my my Breeze percentage got a little higher. Sure. Is that he goes, don't touch my face. (laughs) whenever he is in a lockup and i appreciate that he has that commitment to character it is delightful agreed all right miles what did your elf i see you know they're still only calling her charlotte and they're a long ways off from officially naming her charlotte flair but Mm -hmm. they're not shy about who she is and who her dad is and she is not shy about incorporating some aspects of Ric Flair into her persona and ring persona. And in the tag team match, uh, Charlotte does a flare flop. 
which oh, yes. is yeah so it's the thing that rick does all the time if you go back and watch his matches he's standing up and somebody hits him in the face like with some kind of kick or punch or something and he mm-hmm. like staggers for a second and just like face plants oh my god just like drops face first to the mat and charlotte fucking does it in this tag team match and it made me really happy oh that's wonderful so bob what did your vulcan ears hear We were spoiled for choice in terms of terrible, inscrutable bananas things that got said on commentary this time. Howdy. I don't even know which one to choose. I have three, but I will say the last one stuck with me because I appreciated the relationship that it articulated. Okay. Jason says he does like the Uso chant by himself, which is fine. The audience is doing it as well, but he's doing the whole thing. Yeah. A-Rai says, I'm going to climb over there if you do it again. And Jason Alfred says, don't make me put you into retirement again, Alex Riley. And I just really appreciated this like combative relationship that we are to some extent press ganged into dealing with as audience members. So oh, I thought it was terrible. I, I, th- I, I hated it, but I also was like, all right, we're here now. Put your dicks away. Nobody cares. You're not the ones in the fucking ring. Commentary on this episode, like, the commentary team is getting so bad, especially when Regal's not there, as you alluded to earlier, that it's becoming, like, performance art. Yes. Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? I had so many commentary lines, and I just kept, like, crossing them off and putting the new commentary line that I wanted to talk about. And then, like, in the main event, in the main event... (laughs) <laughs> and it's so much sadder because it happened in Corey Graves' last televised match. In the main event, Albert says, Corey Graves' motto is to stay down because he enjoys <sighs> inflicting damage on people. Oh. What are you talking about? That's not what that's for. <laughs> He's not saying stay down is my motto. It's what <laughs> I'm going to do. He's telling you to do it. And he's telling you to do it, not because he wants to inflict damage on people because he likes it, because he wants you to stay down so he can win. If he liked inflicting damage on you, he would be telling you to get back up so you can, he can inflict more damage. So there's no universe in which you're getting this right. Jason, what are you doing? Something specific about William Regal that I realized after watching this and made me go, that's why I like William Regal so much. It's not that he's British and that he's got daddy energy, which both of these things are true. It is that he almost never yells on commentary. He just doesn't. He speaks in a normal speaking volume, if not kind of a softer tone than normal speaking volume, because he realizes he's miked. And so you don't get the indiscriminate yelling that you often get on commentary that I cannot stand. I hate it so much. And there's a lot of it in wrestling. Yeah. And so having somebody on mic who is there to go, oh, look at what they did there. And it's still, you know, putting it over, but he's not screaming. I just I realize what I miss when William Regal isn't there is a fucking break for my ears. <sighs> yeah. All right, Bob. Well, moving on from your ears, what did your human heart feel? Sammy Zayn dancing at the end of the trios match. The Uso started dancing and Sammy started grooving along and he just looks so fucking happy. He looks like he is going, I am living my best life. I'm here. I've made it. I'm not scrabbling for a living on the indies anymore. 
I'm in WWE. I'm here at NXT. I'm wrestling alongside the Usos who are like a big deal. I'm getting to be a goofus in the ring. This is amazing. I just want Sami Zayn to look that happy again someday. Like, I just (laughs) want good things for this good-hearted guy. Good things for Sami Zayn 2021. Absolutely. I just want him to smile that big again, Miles. I know. (sighs) Miles, what did your human heart feel? Well, I mean, okay, so what I was about to say is that this episode gave me narrative blue balls, but then it wouldn't be my heart, it would be my balls, but then I feel like like (laughs) your narrative balls are in your heart, though. Tell me about your blue balls. So they do this whole thing with Emma where they're like, who is her mystery partner going to be? And normally it'd be like, okay, it's a big surprise. It's a big reveal. The music hits and it's Paige. Oh, shit. Here we go. And Mm -hmm. it's a big deal. Instead, they're like, who's the mystery partner going to be? They cut to commercial. Yep. And when they come back, Paige and Emma are on the apron and they're like, oh, it was Paige. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? What? What? Yeah. What what kind of bullshit storytelling is this nonsense? And (laughs) I'm I'm almost positive that the reason for it is because they taped it prior to WrestleMania. And when Paige came down to the ring, she's wearing the fucking NXT title and they had just stripped her of it. And they couldn't have that. So, like, mm. that's what I'm guessing. But, like, think this through ahead of time is all I'm asking you to do. Oh, man. Yeah, I thought that was really weird, but it didn't bother me because I'm so used to it by now. The inexplicable cut or the kind of weird beat that doesn't land. I'm like, oh, well, that's just part of the song now. My favorite thing in wrestling is who's it going to be? And then their music hits. You know what I mean? Oh, like, that's why yeah. I love the Royal Rumble. It's like the whole match oh, composed God. of who's it going to be? And then their music hits. It's one of my favorite things about wrestling is that moment when you're like, oh, it's them. You know what I mean? The and Royal so, like, to just- Rumble is like a continuous orgasm. Do you know what I yes. mean? Like it is just one peak after another of just going, fuck, yeah, the thing I love, it's here. And like, sometimes you go, nah, boo, it's not, it's not a thing I care about. But mostly it is just hit after hit. It is great. Every wrestling fan should be asking themselves on a daily basis, have I thanked Pat Patterson for inventing the Royal Rumble today? Thank you, Pat Patterson. All right, well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We're going to get into the wrestling move of the week, but first... We need to hear Bob's fanfic explaining the wrestling term of the week from uh, two episodes ago, episode 47. That wrestling term was double champion. Bob, take it away. Thank you to Eric McNaughton, one of our beautiful Patreon donors. Charles Recon. Yeah! Specifically requested Warhammer. Gave me both Warhammer and Warhammer 40k. I tend to be more okay in a fantasy setting than a space setting. So I went with Warhammer. He gave me so much knowledge and I did my best. This is some deep cuts, possibly. Or possibly not. Hard to know. I don't know enough about Warhammer to know. I don't know enough about Warhammer to correct you, so we're going to be fine. The crowd in the ring had gathered to watch Gortek, the Dwarf King, fight Kalidor II, the Elf King, in the battle of Three Towers Top Rope Takedown. Is it Gortek or is it Gotrek? I thought he spelled it Gortek, which I was like, Gortek is a fabric, but... So I did have one Warhammer book, and, I th- and there's a... I'm pretty sure it's Gotrek. 
Gotrek? Okay. Yeah. Well, but that's a different thing. Is it Grotek? Because there's a different one. Oh, Gotrek Starbreaker. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hold on. Let me do a control F. Need to do a find and replace. Sorry about that. I, I, nope, <laughs> I know nope, very, fake. very few things about Warhammer Fantasy, but Fucking I do know that character's name. The crowd in the ring had gathered to watch Gotrek, the Dwarf King, fight Kalidor II, the Elf King, in the Battle of Three Towers Top Rope Takedown. The crowd was heaving about the fact that Kalidor had dared to come to the ring wearing the beard of Thorek, Gotrek's own protege. Kalidor had beaten him in a hair match the previous month and kept the beard as a prize of war. (laughs) The dwarf contingent in the audience booed vigorously and several dwarfs threw battle axes at him. The ref, a nervous orc, put on a helmet and tried to sweep all of the thrown battle axes and warhammers out of the ring. The bell rung, and immediately Gotrek began chopping the big man down. Fierce hamstring kick after fierce hamstring kick. Kalidor crumpled to his knees, but grabbed Gotrek in an armbar. Gotrek rolled over, his arm clanking as he straddled the chest of Kalidor and laid in vicious forearms to the head. Kalidor kicked him off and rushed to the ropes for a high-flying move, but his crossbody was foiled as Gotrek, although two feet shorter, caught him in mid-air and began to swing him around in an airplane that had the beautiful elf looking a sickly green. Gotrek dropped Kalidor to the mat and the elf stumbled to his feet, only to be met by a meteora from the top rope as the full force of Gotrek came knees first at the face of Kalidor, driving him backwards and into the mat. Gotrek pinned Kalidor, who gave a weak twitch, but was unable to kick out (laughs) as the orc ref slammed their hand down three times. Gotrek was the winner and claimed Kalidor's championship crown from the ref. The elves might not recognize his authority or submit to his rule, but he had beaten his enemy and won justice for Fortek and his once magnificent beard. The ref took up an enormous tome and dropped it with a thud onto the lectern, now at the center of the ring, as several elves tried to carry Kalidor to the nearest medical facility. Book of grudges! Book of grudges! Book of grudges! The audience (laughs) began to chant. The orc sighed and got out a pen. Feuds in the dwarf faction were a source of considerable import. Gotrek got on the mic. Kalidor the Callow is defeated. I wear the crown of both kingdoms. I am your double champion. Kalidor wears nothing but his shame and the bruises I have given him. But that is not all he shall wear. He will be saddled with the names we lay down in the Book of Grudges, never to be forgotten. What do we deem this once proud elf? Cries came from the audience as the orc feverishly wrote down each insult. The Oathbreaker. Kalidor the Unnecessary. Kalidor the Friendless. One dwarf slammed a hammer down and yelled, Kalidor the Pointlessly Tall. <laughs> Another dwarf laughed and cried out, Kalidor the Frightened of Loud Noises. The remaining elves in the audience booed loudly. A dwarf glared directly at the nearest elf and yelled, Kalidor the Goat Lover. The elf sniffed and stood up a little taller. The elf companion at his side sighed and boomed. Kalidor the idiot. <laughs> the fellow elves looked at the fallen Kalidor, who was weakly fighting medical attention and clutching the beard of Forek, whining loudly about his stolen crown and demanding a rematch next month. They nodded. Yeah, he was an idiot. The orc ref sighed and wrote it down, ducking as a celebratory dagger was thrown past. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you, Eric, for uh, that suggestions. I love what you made of that, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right. Well, with that uh, out of the way, it is now time for uh, a wrestling move of the week. And the wrestling move of the week on this episode is Cutter. So the reason we're talking about Cutters this week is very simple. At the end of the women's tag team match on this episode, Charlotte hits her finishing move, which the announcers pretend they've never seen before. Mm. And then Jason Albert calls it, quote, a reverse DDT of sorts. Oh. And considering we're going to get to know that move very well over the next year or so of NXT, I thought we should put some respect on its goddamn name (laughs) and talk about Cutters. Of course, cutters are actually themselves a variant of an older move called a bulldog, but these days you see cutters way more often. With a bulldog, you and your opponent are facing the same direction, you get them in a headlock so their head is under your arm, you run forward and jump, or you just drop, driving their face onto the mat. So a cutter is the same basic idea. You and your opponent are facing the same direction, you're in front of them, But instead of them being bent over in a headlock where their head is in your armpit, you reach back and grab their head so it's over your shoulder. Then you drop with their head still in your arms, driving their face into the mat from that position. With a bulldog, you deliberately fall and use your weight to push your opponent down. With a cutter, you deliberately fall and use your weight to pull your opponent down. Okay. This move was invented by a wrestler named Johnny Ace, better known to WWE watchers as John Laurinaitis, and he called it the Ace Crusher. He then passed the move on to a wrestler named Diamond Dallas Page. I know him as a yoga person. You do. I don't know anything about his yogas, but I know that he is into them. Well, he popularized the move on television in WCW, and he called it the Diamond Cutter. Since then, it's evolved into an entire family of variant moves, generally called cutters, as a nod to DDP's move. These days, you can hit a cutter from numerous different setups and apply all sorts of bells and whistles to it. No matter what the move looks like otherwise, you know it's a cutter if the wrestler hitting the move is falling to the mat face up, while pulling on the head of an opponent who's falling to the mat face down. The most famous cutter in modern wrestling is Randy Orton's finisher, the RKO, which is a pretty standard jumping cutter. Uh, But there are a lot of cutter variants being used as finishers across the wrestling landscape. Charlotte Flair's finisher that we saw on this episode is definitely not a reverse DDT. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is a forward somersault cutter. She dives over her opponent, but grabs their head on the way down. So when they both hit the mat, they're in that cutter position. The rolling cutter is currently being used as a finisher, both by Damian Priest, who calls it the reckoning, and by Cody Rhodes, who calls (laughs) it crossroads. Look past the big twisty jump they do to set it up, and you'll see that when they land, they're in that cutter position. Even the stunner, popularized by Stone Cold Steve Austin, is a cutter variant, the only difference being you bounce your opponent's head off your shoulder instead of off the mat. The point is that there are a ton of finishing moves out there that are some variation of cutter, and that's not an accident. Cutters tend to be portrayed as devastating. They don't always end the match right then and there, but they frequently do. That's because cutter finishers are often what's called protected finishers meaning you don't usually see people kick out of them. If you get hit with it, you're not getting up. Protected refers in this case to the dramatic value of the move, is the thing being protected, because it decreases every time it fails to put someone away. 
The Diamond Cutter was an incredibly well-protected finisher back in WCW, and that value has largely translated into cutters as a whole, though there's been some dilution as the move has proliferated and various uh, variants have come out of it. Even when a cutter isn't the finish, it's always at least a big moment in whatever wrestling story is being told in the ring. Is the cutter relatively safe as moves go? I would say so, yeah. It's interesting to me what moves become popular and acquire status also in relation to their safety and whether or not a move gets portrayed as devastating, even though it might be relatively safe because they're like, okay, it's a move that we can do a lot and has a lot of value to the storytelling, but isn't going to put somebody in the hospital because I know like things like brain busters and stuff like that are not always allowed. It's a move that looks cool, but is pretty it safe does. because you're basically like hugging their head on the way down. Right. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think that a lot of the times you'll see a lot of value being placed in moves that are less safe. So, for example, like cutters tend to be portrayed as very impactful, but they're nothing compared to pile drivers, which is any yeah. kind of move where you have your opponent's head between your legs and then you fall on it or whatever, uh, because those moves actually do hurt people um, and have on numerous occasions throughout wrestling history. So like when a pile driver gets pulled out, it's a huge fucking deal. Uh. Um, But I think you're absolutely right. One of the reasons they have proliferated is because they are a safe version of a move that people generally are willing to buy in to, to buy into as devastating. All right, well, that was the wrestling move of the week. And on the next episode, Bob will be back with a fanfic uh, explaining the cutter. With that, we come to the end of our show uh, and about goddamn time, too. But uh, before we get out of here, we got to complete the cheap pop quiz. Bob currently rolling into this cheap pop quiz with eight points. You might recall that they need 15 for this specific round of quizzing. And if they receive that 15, they will get a guest uh, to come on to discuss a romance novel of their choice. So a lot on the line. Okay, so you know how in commentary they're like, oh, man, imagine what would happen if they totally got this win. All right. Imagine what would happen if I got a clean sweep and got all three. I'd be at 11 points. Do you know how close that is to me being at 15? That's four away, Miles. That's four away. All they have to do is get all three. (laughs) I love it. Bob on the mic. Make it happen, (laughs) WWE. Actually, make it happen to AEW. They could really use you. I could save AEW. All right. Question number one. Which two wrestlers independently debut an absolutely fucking iconic change to their entrance in the next episode? And this one, uh, slightly more than five responses. (gasps) Only only slightly, only slightly. Okay. And you'll see why. Is it A, Bailey and Sasha Banks? B, Bailey and Bo Dallas. C. Bailey and Tyson Kidd. D. Sasha Banks and Tyson Kidd. E. Bo Dallas and Tyson Kidd. Or F. Bo Dallas and Sasha Banks. I needed to make sure they were all there twice. The wrestlers in play are Bailey, Sasha, Tyson Kidd, and Bo Dallas. Two of them have these like really iconic additions to their entrance that debut. On the next oh, episode. I thought you meant like they entered together and I was no, like, no, no. my brain was melting. Independently. Okay. They independently add some bells and whistles to their entrance. That's really fucking cool. Which two do that on the next episode? 
You know what? The last WWE fanfic I read had Bailey and Bo Dallas in it. It was not a shipping fic. It was a friendship fic. But I'm going to choose that because that is as good a form of augury as any. All right. Bailey and Bo Dallas is your answer to that one. Question number two. The next episode also features the latest chapter in the Adam Rose Camacho feud. According to a backstage interview with Devin, what is Camacho's beef with Adam Rose this week? Is it A, Camacho hates parties? <sighs> B, he hates parties thrown by people like Adam Rose? <clears throat> C, he throws better parties than Adam Rose? Ooh. D, he's never been invited to an Adam Rose party? Hmm. <clears throat> or E, he got invited to an Adam Rose party and he was super excited about it and then it turned out to be really lame. Hmm. I like the idea that he throws better parties. He throws better parties than Adam Rose. C is your answer. And question number three. On the next episode, Brodus Clay challenges Adrian Neville for the NXT Championship in a no disqualification match. Uh. Who wins and what is the status of their feud afterward? Is it A, Neville wins, comes out of the match looking strong, feud over, that's it. B, Neville wins, but Brodus attacks him after the match, indicating the feud will continue. C. After getting pretty much dominated from bell to bell, Neville wins with a roll-up, indicating the feud will continue. D. Neville pins Brodus, but the ref is down, and when Neville goes to revive him, Brodus gets up, hits a powerbomb, wins the championship. Or E. Brodus wins the championship without controversy. He better fucking not win it. I'll be so pissed. <laughs> Uh, I'll take B. B was Neville wins, but Brodus attacks after the match, indicating the feud will continue. Yes. I want the feud to be over, though, but I don't know. I guess he's knocking around NXT at the moment, so. Well, come back on the next episode to see how many points, if any, Bob received on this latest iteration of the Cheap Pop Quiz. All right, well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, as ever, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for letting me tag along in the back seat and uh, do that thing where you stick your hand out the window and go. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to quickly shout out, as we always do, everybody who uh, goes over to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and throws us a little bit of money every month to help support the show. We really sincerely appreciate you. We hope you enjoy all of the uh, the bonus content that dropped recently. Right around the same time as our last episode came out, we dropped the Scooby-Doo WrestleMania mystery bonus episode. Oh, and Ill Omens came out yes. as well. You can listen to Scooby-Doo regardless of your patron status, but uh, you do have to be a patron to listen to Ill Omens. So if you are interested in uh, the ongoing adventures of our wonderful little patron wrestling league here that we put together, uh, that is the place to go. And we just really appreciate each and every one of you. We do. You are so important to our hearts and to the sustainability of the show as a whole. You are legitimately what makes this show possible for us to prioritize and complete on a regular basis. Absolutely. We tend to get a little bit behind the eight ball sometimes <laughs> with, the, with the bonus shit. But I think we're I think we're finally about caught up. The last thing that you're waiting for uh, that you have been promised based on all of our Patreon stuff is What If Cats But Pro Wrestling, which is a piece that I am writing and will be going up on the Patreon page uh, when that is finished. So... 
that is coming. I am working on it. It is coming along. I had to get back into the cat's mindset a little bit because when I first started working, it's actually something I started working on a while ago. But uh, so I'm like, wait, who the fuck are all these people? Because there's 30 cats in the fucking Royal Rumble. And also just want to say we had a ton of fun hanging out with all of y'all at our most recent watch party. Uh, so thank you if you were there for that. Watched a really, really great Kara Noir oh. versus Pac match. So good. I think we all uh, fell in love with the audience even more than anything else. We were like, we love this audience and we we want to smooch every single one of them for being so great. Independent wrestling crowds, they can be really awesome. They can yeah. also be really fucking annoying, oh, but they can be really awesome. And just to let you know, those postcards, I put stamps on them. I am going to slip them lovingly into the mail this very day. And they are going to wind their way into your hot little beautiful hands. Yeah, if you're a patron and uh, you are owed a postcard from us, that is on its way. Uh, And Bob, there was one more thing that we wanted to just tell everybody about real quick, I think. Yes, okay. It's relevant. Sure, sure it is. (laughs) I am, disclaimer, I'm an idiot. And I had an idea for a thing. And then I decided that now I have a whole ass other podcast that I guess I produce on a approximately whenever basis. Yeah, that's on you, dude. I know. I Why didn't somebody stop me? I think that's the real problem. That's the crime that my friends have committed by not stopping me. (laughs) So No, I think we actively encouraged you, which is the worst thing we could have done. So hard choices, Star Trek has come out and it's 90s Trek specifically. So don't expect any Kirk action. Although, you know, I think we all know where Kirk is in our hearts and in our boners. So if you want to listen to Miles, Sharon, Chris Newton, and myself talk about the fuckability of 90s Star Trek characters and hear an impassioned defense of several characters that I think people have less than positive feelings about from that franchise This is the place to go. Go to Smash Fiction on any of your podcatchers and go ahead and subscribe because we recorded an MCU one. It's coming out at some point. Like, I'm not going to tell you when because that's a secret known not even to myself. Yeah. So Hard Choices is the show that Bob uh, took on themselves uh, where we pick a fictional universe and rank the characters from most fuckable to least fuckable. We have a Lord of the Rings episode that came out and now a Star Trek episode, a 90s Trek episode that came out. So specifically Next Generation, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, uh, we are ranking Starfleet officers from those shows. Go check that out again. That's on the Smash Fiction podcast feed, which is the podcast that Bob and I used to do with a bunch of our friends who you can also hear over on uh, Garden Plots of Skeletor. Uh, we're, We're a big fan of podcasters and uh we're this is just our latest shit so if you want to hear my wife and i <laughs> talk yeah talk about what star trek characters we find the most fuckable alongside megan bob and uh megan dumbcast's chris newton then uh go over to that smash fiction podcast feed if you've ever wanted to hear miles just about cry about tuvok this is Oh, man. My heart grew three sizes. I have an enlarged heart now, and it's a real problem. (laughs) 
Okay, on that note, thank you so much for listening to this episode and all of the podcasts that we do and all of the podcasters that we love and hang out with and are part of our our little gang on the internet. We just really appreciate everybody who uh, checks us out and we hope that we turn you on to some really cool people as a result of them being on our show and as a result of our collaborations with them. So thank you a lot for that. We'll see you in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Jason says, ooh, so, because that's what you're supposed to do whenever the Usos come out. They go, you say ooh, and then the audience goes, so. Or they say, and, you say oos, and you say oh. Yeah, sorry, I yeah. fucked that up. No, I'm sorry. great at this. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Usos come out, and they say, ooh, and then the audience goes, so. No, no so, you, you still got it wrong. You got it wrong. God it's, damn it. It's oos, oh. Oh, oos? Oh. Yeah, when when right. we say oos, y'all say oh. That's what they say. Oh. But his crossbody was foiled as he. Oh my fucking! It cha- changed it to Gory Tech now. Great, thanks, <laughs> thanks. But his crossbody was foiled as Gotrek. There we go. But his crossbody was foiled as Grotrek. No. What? <laughs> Not Grotrek. <laughs> God, go. this is the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs>